we're looking at uh, Philippians chapter 3, and yeah, God does speak it to us. Uh, we want to listen to him. We want him to work by his spirit in us. Uh, so let's ask him to be at work. Heavenly Fathers, we make the effort to listen and to give our attention. We ask that uh, you would work by your spirit, uh, that you would uh, give us focus and attention, that you would uh, change our thinking and uh, so change our affections, our desires, our decisions, our lives for your praise and for your glory. Through the Lord Jesus. Amen. Are you one of those people who has a plan for their life? Are you aiming at something with all of it? Are you aiming at something in education, work, career? Uh, Do you have goals with family and friends, with sojourners, with gods? Where do you think you'll be in a year? In 10 years, as life draws to an end, how do you think you'll finish? Whether you have an intentional plan or an accidental direction, you're going somewhere. You're living towards something. If not much changes about what you do and where you spend your time and energy and efforts... Well, there's summer you'll be in a year from now, and ten years from now, and towards the end of your days. Uh, change some things about what you do, some things will change about those markers along the way, and where you'll be towards the end. What do you want for then? What could you deliberately live towards at the end of your days? I think it's really interesting, and actually not just interesting, but useful to think about where you'd like to go. A year from now, five years from now, ten years the end, well really, to work backwards from the end, ten years, five years, a year. What do you want to have achieved? Who will be the most significant people in your life? What do you want them to think about you? What do you want them to have learned from you? What do you want them to have seen modeled by you? How do you want them to sum up your life and your part in their lives? What do you want to leave behind? What do you want God to say when you meet him? It's useful to ask and answer those sorts of questions and then to think about what you can change now in order for it to be like that then. How far could you get towards those goals in 10 years' time? Uh, Where would you need to be in five years in order to be there in 10? In a year in order to be there in five? And what are you going to do in the next 12 months so that you get there in 12 months? See, that's where it gets practical. What What do you need to do to get there? How are you going to keep the goals in front of you so that you wind up there? So you wind up motivated to keep doing the things which you would not otherwise do in order to be 
but you would not otherwise be. Now, before you all go home and plan your life, look at Paul. Uh, look at what he is aiming at. Now, we've heard quite a bit of his story over the last few weeks, in this, uh, and we hear a bit more of it in this passage. And now, it is easy to see Paul as extraordinary, to see Paul as the exceptional Christian, so far above and beyond any of our experience that none of us could ever hope to be like him. But he reckons that he's standard issue. He reckons that he's normal Christian. Verse 15, you should think what he thinks. Verse 17, you should imitate him and people like him. Whatever else you want for next year, five years, ten years, for the rest of life, how you end life, copy Paul. Get oriented going back into the passage uh, today. Since the beginning of chapter 3, Paul's been talking about rejoicing in the Lord Jesus. Well, really commanding us to rejoice in the Lord Jesus because Jesus is rejoiceable. Uh, Because rejoicing in him reflects reality. Uh, The best things about ourselves, the best things about what we have done, don't stack up to anything of value compared to the surpassing value of knowing God in Christ. There was a time when Paul had a high view of himself and what he'd done. But then he met Jesus and he saw the truth. The things he thought edged him closer to be acceptable to God didn't. What he thought was profit was loss. What he clung to was rubbish, dung, excrement. He couldn't trade it for acceptance with God, but Jesus gave him acceptance. The only way to steer clear of going back is to keep rejoicing in Jesus and what he has done. To see, this, to see and savor Christ Jesus, his Lord, who he is, what he's done, what he is doing, what he will do. Already through faith and practical trust in Christ, given a righteousness which stands up to God, God examining it. Experiencing the power of Jesus' resurrection as the spirit of the, resur- of the risen Lord Jesus works in us. Suffering in ways which echo Christ's death because they promote the salvation he purchased. And looking to the day we will be raised complete. That's Paul's attitude. His attitude to everything he's done as an attempt to gain or maintain a standing with Jesus is the same as his attitude to rubbish. He's disgusted by the idea that he or anyone else would think they could earn a place with God. And he delights in the Lord Jesus And he delights in being saved already by Jesus. But he doesn't sit back. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Paul's faith, his practical, his faith is in Jesus, his practical trust is in Jesus. He's relying on Jesus' death and resurrection for forgiveness and eternal life. He's submitting to Jesus as his good and loving ruler. He trusts Jesus for everything and he knows he hasn't yet received it all. He is not yet perfect. So he has a new zealous pursuit to get his hands on and to hold firmly to what Christ took hold of him for. He's not kicking back because his history is flexible and everything depends on Jesus. He is actively and deliberately pursuing what Christ deliberately took hold of him for. It's not his yet. Verse 13, he says it again. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. This is his singular focus. He's devoted to it. His life orients around it, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. There's a thousand things he used to rely on for acceptance with God. But he's forgetting about those. Now there's plenty of evidence of the Spirit's past work. But he's not sitting back into that. He is straining forward. He is moving with determination towards what has not yet happened. He's longing for it. He's laboring towards it. He's putting his energy and effort into it. Remember this is for imitation. This is the way of thinking every one of us should have. This is the past forgetting, future focus mindset God will reveal to us. It's worth asking ourselves, how are we going? How are you going? How are you going at living your past in the past? At confessing and knowing forgiveness for past failure. At learning lessons, but not letting the past define you. How are you going at leaving the glory days behind? So how are you going at leaving the glory days in the past? The high points of Christian experience, uh, in active love for God, in love for Christ's people, in love for the lost. Is your fundamental focus past or future? Paul is saying he strains forward, he looks forward to what's future, and we should too. Finally, he says what he's straining towards in verse 14 I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal is his pursuit of the prize God will give. God generously gives it, graciously, freely. Uh, Everything is so dependent on him that Paul is quick to thank God for the the Thessalonians' effort way back in chapter 1. God gives it, but Paul presses on actively and determinedly towards the goal. He pursues the prize. 
guy called Hendrickson in a comedy, I forgot to put the quote on the screen, uh, puts it this way. Though it is true that this believing and this striving are from start to finish completely dependent on God's grace, nevertheless, it is we who must embrace Christ and salvation in him. It is we who must strive to enter in. God does not do this believing and striving for us. It's possible in our circle to get a little bit embarrassed about anything that sounds like effort. We worry that it will undermine grace. Uh, It might shake someone's confidence that Paul's not embarrassed. He's not embarrassed about God-enabled effort. And effort it is. The prize is given at the end of the race, not during it. The prize is given at the end of life, not during it. That's what he's talking about. When Paul wrote, he could see the end of life. Possibly execution, possibly living a little longer. But he could see it coming. He has been running and he plans to keep on running until he draws his final breath. He's not going to finish just kind of shuffling in vaguely the right direction. He's not going to be going on detours or sitting down for a rest. He's spiritually sprinting or at least going as fast as his legs will possibly carry him towards the finish line. I suspect there's a little sarcasm in his next line. In verse 12, Paul said... He's not already perfect. Verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature, they're pretty perfect. Let us think this way. Let us pretty perfect people think as past-forgetting, future-focused pursuers of the upward call of Christ Jesus, which we have not yet come to. He continues speaking to the immature and to those who want to be genuinely mature which happens at the end. He speaks to all of us as people who need to make progress, as people who continue to have plenty of room for progress. If if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. What possible different way is there to think? Well, aside from thinking that we've already arrived, that it's time to sit back, that we, we could think that there's no need for effort. We could shift into drift. And then just to be clear, Paul is, to, is not saying, move on from where you started, He says, verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the effort we're called to make. It's not the effort to move on from where we began. It's the spirit-enabled effort to hold true to Christ as we meet him in his gospel. 
to pursue the, Christ, the life that Christ took hold of us for. It's the spirit-enabled effort to know the truth about God more clearly and to have it captivate your head, heart, and life more fully. It's the spirit-enabled effort to kill sin that Christ died to forgive you from and free you from and to live more and more with his other person-centered, eternity-focused love. It's the Spirit-enabled effort to enjoy the goodness of knowing Him as Savior and His Father as our Father. Paul puts another way in verse 17. Imitate. Imitate Him. Imitate brothers and sisters whose lives look like His. People like Timothy and Epaphroditus, who he's mentioned along the way in the letter, It's helpful to see different examples in the scriptures and beyond of how the same spirit works by the same scriptures to produce different examples of the same attitudes and desires and longings and determination and action. So imitate. Imitate them. Imitate... Imitate people you've never met, like Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. Believers from other times and other places, as you read biographies and see the Spirit's work in them. Imitate people in the wider Christian community, people within the sojourn community. To the extent and in the areas where you see progress has been made and there's a continuing desire, especially this continuing desire and ongoing effort towards making progress, imitate. Imitate brothers and sisters who are continuing to grow spiritually, not those who are stagnating, not those who have a great past, Imitate those who keep on imitating Christ. Imitate them because there are others you could imitate. There are others who look like exactly the sort of people we should learn from and follow. Because they're the ones who have it all together. And if you just sit down for a moment, they'll tell you that they're the ones who have it all together. They've got stories to tell you about how wonderful they are, how wonderfully life is going for them. And our instincts will be to want to be like them. Which is why Paul has to say, no, don't. Don't imitate them. Verse 18, many of whom I have told, often told you, and I tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Obviously the Philippians knew things we didn't, we don't. But I think Paul's description here is deliberately a bit vague. Because we'll encounter such a wide variety of false guides. When he says their God is their belly, he's saying they're driven by their desires. They do what they want. Now, that could be people with uh, no religion or in his day with false religion. 
Uh, people who live for pleasure, who delight to fill their bellies with fine food and their lives with fine experiences. They delight to do and can spend hours talking with half-hearted embarrassments about their shameful deeds. The things Paul would call rubbish. But there are religious versions too. Religious versions of the same heart. Uh, People who live for the pleasure and the delight of denying their bellies. The pleasure and delight of denying themselves doing the things they want to do and then giving themselves a public pat on the back for self-denial. Their half-hearted embarrassment centers on what fine examples they are. They delight in their past deeds instead of forgetting them and pressing on. They focus on things they do now and building a reputation now. They focus on earthly life, not eternal life. The ones Paul's saying don't follow, it's not, they, they aren't just a little bit wrong. Their end is destruction. God will judge them. Paul sees them and he tears up. <laughs> he has tears because... He sees where they're going and tears because he sees the danger his dearly loved brothers and sisters are in if they follow these false guides. He's mentioned them, he mentions them again, he will mention them again because none of us, so that none of us will be taken in. Don't copy Don't copy people whose stories of success center on this life. Because they're exactly the people who are unprepared for eternity. If you follow them, you will be unprepared for eternity. Their citizenship is on earth and their end is destruction. Verse 20, but our, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Who we are is future focused. At no moment between now and when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, Will it be time to settle? Heaven is our home. Jesus is our Savior. He is now already exalted. He sits at God's right hand in heaven. By his power, everything and everyone in all of physical creation, in all of spiritual creation, is under his rule. By his power, he rules it all. And on the day we see him, on the day when every knee in heaven and on earth bows before him, He will use his power to transform our lowly, our ordinary, our humble bodies to be like his glorious body. Our unboastable bodies 
to be like his glorious body. That's who we are. Glory, rejoice, boast in that. Why on earth would anyone boast and glory in who they are and what they've already done when the reference point is that future glory? It's like a calculator that's going to be a supercomputer glorying in one right answer after ten bad ones. It's like a bicycle that's going to be a spaceship glorying in the day that it made around a corner before it got a flat tire. It's like a dirty old canvas that's going to be, have a masterpiece painted on it glorying, glorying in a smudge of clear color in the corner. The boast betrays ignorance of what it will be. Settling and staying with the occasional right answer, getting around the corner or the occasional smudge of clear color, settling for any of that would be a tragedy. A tragedy worthy of tears. If Christ is your Savior, you are a citizen of heaven where King Jesus sits enthroned now and rules everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth, if Christ is your Savior, the day will come when he will come to make you fully and finally like him. So stand like that is true. Which means pursuing as much of it now as you can get a hold of. Imitate people like Paul whose lifelong pursuit is to see Jesus more clearly in the scriptures. To be more and more like Jesus in this life while they wait for the day that they'll be completely like him. Look at Paul. (laughs) Be like him. Look for people like Paul. Be like them. gets his journal and read the PS I asked you yesterday. Uh, what are you most determined to make personal progress in at the moment? What's getting your effort and occupying your prayers? Now, we can and uh, we should have all have different answers to that. We all have different struggles. We're all in different situations. But we must have the same central goal towards which those current projects point. (laughs) None of us should be settling for little growth in our knowledge of God and no progress in living to please him. The life plan tool, the end of life, ten years, five years, one year, it's a tool that, it's an idea that I ripped off uh, from an unbeliever. And really he glories in what he's achieved in the past 10 years using his life plan tool. Uh, and in the plans of what he aims to accomplish in the next 10, 20, maybe 30 years. Imitate the planning process if you like. I think it's helpful. But don't do what he does. Don't define your own purpose. Don't pick something out of the air and make it the thing that everything else revolves around. That's the glorying in their bellies type thing. Listen to Lord Jesus 
who rules now and speaks his rule by his spirit in his scriptures. Now, there are lots of other bits and pieces to aim for and act towards. And all those need to be examined, assessed, changed to fit around the central purpose of our lives. To fit with the priority which flows from putting our practical trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It all needs to be recentered and refocused around pursuing what He took hold of us for. Let's pursue it for ourselves. Let's pursue it for one another. Life plan for other things or not, look carefully at Christ's plan for your eternal future. Look carefully at Christ's plan for your persistent progress while you wait. He wants your, just think through some bits we've seen in Philippians. He wants your love to overflow with knowledge, with the capacity to see and choose and do what's best. He wants you to share his passion and Paul's passion for the gospel going to the lost and for the gospel continuing to be heard by believers who desperately need to hear it. He wants you to consider other interests more valuable than your earthly comfort, convenience, safety, security, pleasure, prestige. He wants you to recognize your past performance as unpresentable and to cling to him and rejoice in him as the one who secured your eternal safety and has taught you to be willing to suffer in order to be a blessing to others things from Philippians. Could head off into other things that we've learned from the scriptures. Like, like living the implications of knowing God who is good and great and gracious and glorious. Oh, the regular words of being convinced and captivated and committed and concerned. And the ways those connect out into life. And we sum it up as head, heart and life tuned to eternal realities. But life plan for other things or not, look carefully at Christ's plan for your eternal future and Christ's plan for your persistent progress while you wait. And make the effort. Make the effort of deliberately and persistently and prayerfully putting yourself in the path of God's powerful word. And looking to him to work by his spirit so that more and more you desire and decide and do for his good pleasure. Forgetting what lies behind, straining towards what lies ahead, pressing on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, please guard us from being captivated by lesser things. From following after earthly-minded models. 
Father, please uh, cause us by your Spirit to put Spirit-enabled effort into the single-minded pursuits of what your Son took hold of us for. That seeing his grand purpose to make us fully and finally like him when he returns that would eagerly pursue that transformation more and more while we wait for our great good, for his great glory, and so for yours. In the Lord Jesus, amen.